Hello and welcome to episode number 429 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's packed show, Ryanair has fun on Twitter. We take a look at another mid-air fight and one rather large aircraft has a really bad time on takeoff. In the military this week, the US Air Force needs you to teach new pilots and what does happen to retired drone aircraft. Joining me this week are Matt Smith, who's back from playing his part as Captain Jack Sparrow on the Norfolk Broads, and Nev is back from another points-collecting mission week on BA. Armando this week is off in the wilds of Tennessee, camping with the family after a week of flying around the US of Abe. So, welcome, Matt. How are you? Yes, I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, back from a a terrible week on the broads. (laughs) Absolutely terrible. It was... Talk about lucky with the weather. How lucky were we with the weather, let's be honest? I I think, do you know what, you picked the best week because the weather, literally today, someone went... I know, I know, it's been incredible. Incredible. If you're watching on YouTube, by the way, uh, just a couple of my favourite photos uh, from the uh, the time on the broads there. Doesn't that look just absolutely stunning? Uh, that was at a place called How Hill uh, that was taken a few nights ago. And then this one was taken... Um, do you know, I can't remember where this one was taken. But anyway, this was a nighttime shot. So this was a camera shot from my iPhone. You, know, you can how- almost feel the mozzies... Not a single one. Do you know the only place we experienced any? Beckles, of all places. Everywhere else, completely bug-free. But anyway, yeah, an absolutely lovely time on the broads. My thanks to uh, producer John, who very kindly worked his magic to make those photos even more special. But, uh, yeah, it was... uh, No, it looks like you you had a good week. Yeah, we were, as I say, we were so lucky with the weather and stuff, and I didn't crash into anything, uh, and I also, I nearly fell into the river a couple of times. But other than that, we managed to, the whole mooring up and all that kind of thing, it's it's quite the mission it's like it's um it's basically you turn you you turn the wheel and then four seconds later something happens uh so you can imagine like negotiating narrow broads and parking uh, or whatever the word is that you're mooring up sorry is more <laughs> it's quite the challenge but it's been it was lovely because it's the longest that i've ever been off work um um, yes. It was lovely to have like sort of 12 days um, back to back. So we did Monday to the following Friday and it was lovely. No, it's nice to see that. Uh, nice, nice for you to get a week away anyway. Well, two yeah, weeks away. Two weeks well, away. Week and, less, yeah. week and three quarters. Yeah. 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 So, well, you're back, which is always I a good am. thing. Yes, yes. Uh, Pressing the means that we can do things. Um, but, and also back this week is uh, Neville Bounds, who this week has. Uh, uh, he's got a contract with uh, uh, various haulage companies around the UK to carry all the uh, the Avios points that he's collected this week, haven't you, Nev? It's been a bit wild, that's for sure. Uh, yes, Brussels, Glasgow, followed by Amsterdam. Um, so, yeah, very, very full on uh, since we were last live, actually. Um, and then this week did uh, three days at the lovely Excel Centre in London. Such a... Such good value for money venue, I always find. <laughs> uh, not 
Um, <laughs> I'm, sen- I'm sensing mild tones of, uh, of sarcasm. Undertones, obviously. Undertones obviously. of sarcasm. <laughs> Those boys and girls know how to charge in the catering department. Yeah, they do. And also for the, uh, the booth space as well. So yeah. uh, an expression there. Uh, but no, it's very good. Um, flew back into London City Airport again, which is uh, nice and uh, very convenient for the XL, obviously. So just mm. a quick... Uh, uh, half a mile from there, so that was good. Any uh, um, any memorable flights this uh, this week, now? Well, did, uh, you know how it's been a bit funny at Skipole recently with delays and, you know, irritation? Um, I did have a slightly extended conversation with the passport control fella uh, on the way out of the country, actually. Um, I thought well, as in pleased. coming home? Yes, I thought you'd be right. seeing... Please see the back of me, frankly, but um, had a, I'm always very careful not to um, overstep the mark with, you know, immigration and security. But I did think that some of the behaviour was a bit unreasonable and I had to mention it. Um, and then I went on my way after that. But um, <laughs> apart from that, it was all right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, but uh, no, one thing is very obvious, though, it is so busy Um because all the flying schedules aren't fully back yet. Mm. So they're really filling every single aircraft. So, yeah, every aircraft I went on was absolutely chock-a-block. Um, so, but, uh, no, I'm not complaining. Um, and got to see some nice customers and some of my work colleagues again around different parts of Europe. So that was uh, really great. So and great back on the show live as well. I know. I know. Yes. I know. Well, uh, last week guys um i i think I'm, i did tell you guys in the group chat we managed to fool at least one person last week and to think we were actually live <laughs> because i got a message after we went live at seven o'clock last week from uh, a certain guest who uh, we have on the show regularly andy um from the a320 podcast who uh, was trying to, to discover or wonder why we weren't replying or in the chat <laughs> But, oh right! Um, oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, he, after I after I told him, he, I think he just sort of shut his phone down and went went to his hotel. I don't blame him. Had yeah, a, had a cold shower. Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah. actually, on, on that note as well, fingers crossed. I'm not here next week, but uh, Andy hopefully is going to be joining uh, Matt and Nev next week on the show. He's uh, going to step in as a super sub next week. So uh, Andy will be back. To talk about all things Airbus, I, I love I love Nev how we get our our uh, production advice and or notes uh, during the show. I think that's quite lovely, isn't it? Well, so, yeah. Uh, to be fair, well, I then, did only find out this morning. Yeah, but, yeah. Then he can't say that he didn't tell us because it's obviously it's you know, tape, got, yeah. got yes. a and time stamp. <laughs> forever, uh, so, yeah. uh, well played, well played. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there we but, go. What's uh, a naughty no, is? Uh, I know we've got we've got some fresh faces in the chat room tonight. So let's have a little chat too though you'll speak to the lovely chat room who join us every week and thanks to everyone who's joined us in the live youtube chat room this evening we're going to say hello to kicking off tonight he was in there early richard adams hello to you richard uh, mazus karim hello to you mazus he's uh, one of our local listeners isn't he matt uh, we've got neil Lamwarn and jonathan warner Oh, hello, Jonathan Warner. He's just in time for the commercial news. Well done. <laughs> oh, he'll be thrilled. <laughs> Dirk S is also in there. Hello to you, Dirk. Masha is in there. Hello to you, Masha. Lovely to see you in there as well. Ian Atchkinson, or Atchkinson? H. Atchkinson? Atchison? I pronounce his uh, 
Wong. This is beer. I'll tell you, this is beer I'm drinking. Hello oh, to you, Ian. Okay. Good to see you in there that. as well. Uh, we've got Bill. He's in there. Bill Aronek, he's in there. Hello to you, Bill. Uh, we have got, let me scroll down here, Stuart McCutcheon. Hello to you, Stuart. Haven't haven't seen Stuart in there before. Have you guys? I can't remember seeing Stuart in there before. I Hello don't remember what I had for well. breakfast. Don't ask me. Oh, my <laughs> word. Is it that bad? Yeah. Uh, don't forget, if you're listening to us as a audio podcast, check us out on YouTube. Just search for us, Plain Talking UK. You guys know where we are. Uh, while you're there, click the subscribe and bell icon to be notified when Matt is hitting punching, stabbing that uh, go-live button on the touchscreen. Well, not hopefully not that, because it's a touchscreen. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> and you can join us in the live YouTube chat room. Now, we have got loads of stuff to get through today on the show. Loads of news stories, and uh, we've got a, the, set, the fourth part, haven't we, Nev, of the uh, interview with... Um, Chris Burwell, Chris yes. Chris Burwell, that's it, yeah. Yeah, um, so looking forward to that. Yeah, lots of interesting uh, stuff uh, in that episode, yeah. Indeed. So, if everyone on the team is ready, I know Armando's not here, he's busy busy sunning himself, I expect, at the moment, but if everyone's <laughs> ready, let's do some commercial news. says you were correct on the third attempt, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you, Ian. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> it's probably this, it's, to be fair, it's probably this um, this this chocolate and hazelnut stout I'm drinking, which is 7.1%. Oh, good Lord. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, my. It's Belgian quality, that. Oh, <laughs> my word. It's lovely. It's, it's, it's a Scottish, actually. It's a Scottish craft beer. Mm. Well, if you make Edinburgh. it to the end of the show, I'll be surprised. If yes, it's me too. Yeah. Anywho. Good luck, everyone. Uh, <laughs> Funnily enough, that's a great segue for a Scottish uh, beer because this week's first news story is coming to us from the BBC.co.uk and it's Scottish airline Logan Air goes on the market. No, I don't think they're selling their house, but uh, the company confirmed that advisors have been appointed to find a buyer for the Glasgow-based business. It is the UK's largest regional airline, operating for more than 60 years with over 900 staff and flying to more than 40 destinations. Owners Stephen and Peter Bond, who are brothers, have been sole owners of the company since 2012. However, previous to that, the, they partly owned it for a further 15 years. Logan Air's chief executive, Jonathan Hinkles, said the airline is trading profitably and has repaid its COVID-19 bank debt ahead of schedule. Blimey. It will uh, be very much continuing to operate as normal as it does today with no changes to routes, services or employment. Passenger numbers are growing and 50% ahead of pre-pandemic levels. And our fleet renewal program is also well advanced, continuing to pace over the coming months. He also added the Bonds, Stephen, who is now 72 years old, and Peter, who is 61, are committed to finding the right future owner for Logan Air, who will act as its custodian for the next generation, as they pre and the previous owners have done. In the meantime, they remain wholehearted supporters of Logan Air until any process is successfully concluded. So it's good news 
at least uh, we're not going to lose Logan Air because obviously, you know, we've seen far too many airlines. Um, well, I, th- I think that's quite impressive, isn't it? The fact that they've already paid back their, um, yep. yeah, their sort of COVID loans and stuff like that. I mean, that's a really positive sign, isn't it, Nev? Absolutely, yeah. I, mean, I was just thinking the last time I went on the Logan Air flight was a, a short 360 from uh, Edinburgh to Belfast City Airport, and it was incredibly windy. Um, oh, wow. There's a reason why they call it a lawnmower with wings. That aircraft, definitely. <laughs> All right, uh, okay. But uh, the old the jet fleet they've got now, and actually it's a very nice airline. Uh, I think the people mm. that I speak to that have flown it, it's uh, some nice service, nice folks operating it as well. And of course, we n- n- uh, know someone that used to be a first officer mm. uh, on that fleet, don't we? So yeah, and a captain. And a captain too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes. Captain, so, yeah. um, uh, but uh, no. I, I hope they find some uh, some buyers and what have you for it. But uh, no, very good airline, and I I like them a lot. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Actually, uh, believe it or not, uh, my uncle is going to be flying Logan Air very very shortly. He, he's going over to um, Ireland. We've got some family near uh, Omar, and mm. uh, they've restarted uh, an old Stansted. Uh, an old uh, Ryanair route, actually, where, where they're going. Oh, yeah, nice. so he's actually flying with Logan Air from Stansted to Derry. Oh, okay. Um, so, and I think they're doing that. They're actually doing that in a few weeks' time. So I'll perhaps, sure uh, I'll, try, I'll see if I can get him to do a sort of like a, a passenger mm. experience type thing. I'll see, see what they make. Send him a camera, a recorder and a microphone. Yes. <laughs> That'll help him get through security. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah, but I was quite excited because I mean, one of the nice things about Derry Airport is it was only like about thirty-five, forty minutes away from from Omar. It wasn't very, very far mm. at all. Um, and I must admit, I hadn't realised that they, that 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 a route into Derry had restarted. Although I, I suspect, as, as you were, uh, they're not normally cheap, are they? That's it. Mind no, you, actually, yeah. I take that back. Eighth of November. Admittedly, it's only one one way. And an economy, but London Stansted going eighth of November um, is fifty quid. No, oh. I think that's all right, isn't it? Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, very small. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, you can basically do hundred quid return um, from Stansted to, to Derry. I think that's good. I, I, I look at it as half a tank of fuel. No. Oh, yes, these days, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah, and in then, your uh, car. Uh, and oh, you're yeah. certainly not going over water. I hope, Nev. Not, not, no, 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 not in the banana. No, 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 indeed. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a lovely airline, isn't it? I mean, fingers crossed. I mean, I don't know why. You know, the 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 question is there. Like, why are they wanting to get shot of it? Why is it up for sale? I mean, could it just be that you know, by the sounds of it, they've been in the aviation industry for a very, very long time. You know, um, I think also perhaps you know they're looking at the exit strategy for their you know retirement and things like that. I was going to say seventy-one and sixty-one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Careful, but, I'm I'm 61 in uh, <laughs> t- t- two weeks' time. So just you know, thir- did you say 31 there? That's yeah. right. Yes, yeah, I did. Yeah, so as you say, maybe an ex- exit strategy and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's nice to hear that this airline is up for sale, not mm. because there's anything wrong, as you say. Yes. And that, that's got to look good on the, how, you know, whatever else is going on around it. It's got to look good on the books there that the COVID loans have have been paid off mm. ahead of schedule. I think that's in, I think that's incredible, and good luck to them. Fingers crossed they can um, they can get it sorted. And the next story for Matt is uh, this one tickled me actually because I didn't realise just how. Um, 
forthcoming Ryanair are on their social media platforms. Well, you must have been, frankly, mate, you must have been living under a stone because I mean, well, they're, I, they're, they're, I, knew, <laughs> I knew they said a few things, but after this, I thought, really? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, no, I'll give you that. Well, the story that uh, Carlos is referring to, we're reporting from the Mirror, actually, in this particular case, uh, and the headline is Ryanair brutally mocks flyer whose suitcase arrives at airport damaged. <laughs> Uh, the acid tongue social media team at Ryanair has mocked a traveller whose bag was damaged on a flight. The low-budget airline has a proud history of riding with the punches when it comes to criticism on social media. In the past, it has joined in with jokes about the way the airline seems to charge for almost anything and the uh, amount of legroom available for each seat. Today, Ryanair's social media team ventured out of the company's Twitter mentions and actively went looking for trouble. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, <coughs> sorry. It landed on uh, it landed upon Ryan Meany, a backup dancer and member of New Rules, an English Irish pop band. Uh, he first came to the budget airline's attention in September after tweeting Effing Hell, can we just fly already, please? To which Ryanair wrote, Only if you're Ry- uh, only if you're Ryan Nicey. Okay, don't really get that. Anyway, uh today Ryan <laughs> Today, Ryan posted a photo of himself with a wheelie suitcase with one of the wheels missing. He wrote, thanks, airport staff. Suitcase busted up real good and missing a wheel now. So it falls over every few minutes, which is cool. Cheers to a great trip. It's a trip. It seems Ryan was not flying uh, with Ryanair and had landed in Chicago airport. Ryan, be nicey. Wheelie, sorry to see this the airline wrote in <laughs> response uh, <laughs> i'm just trying to find uh, here we go so i found the picture by the way of the uh, of the suitcase in question um in september ryanair social media team trained its aim at martha kelly after she uploaded a picture of her seat on board one of the irish airline jets 38 year old said that she paid around 14 euros 12 pounds extra for a window seat on the flight from warsaw to malta for a short holiday with her husband after a business trip uh <laughs> she explained how they'd booked a seat next to a window only to be situated right beside the plane's <laughs> exit door writing on twitter martha said seriously ryanair i paid for a window seat in a comically half-hearted response the airline's official twitter account decided to point out to the user that they were placed next to something akin to a window basically a very very small inspection uh, uh hole uh the company's social media team simply reposted martha's picture and circled the small glass hole in the exit door. Mum Martha, a trade, a trader from Limerick in Ireland, told the Irish Mirror, I love the extra legroom, don't get me wrong, but I thought it was a great opportunity to tweet at Ryanair because they always joke about window seat 11A that has no window. Well, there is all. a window there. I mean, it's a very small window, I'll give them that, but uh, yeah. It's anyway. a window. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, and personally, I feel it's a brave person that takes on any kind of company, especially someone like Ryanair, who uh, uh, are not afraid to be um, not I, I, not nice about level, it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> there's a level that you can, I think, you can go to, isn't it, before you have really seriously offend someone. And I think Ryanair take it just below just that to level. The list. Yeah, absolutely. Just to that level. 
But um, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't whether you'd see BA's Twitter team um, with this kind of. Um, I'd, well, put... I'd be I'd be horrified. Frankly. No, they sort of err on the side of caution. Yeah. I would say mm. uh, they have got themselves into a, f- a few pickles uh, from time to time, so they they tend not to tweet on, on certain subjects. No. I think. No, indeed, yeah, probably a wise move. Ne- I think actually, Neil Lamborn has just made quite a good point in the uh, in the chat room, saying that the legroom there is worth more than a window seat. On a Agreed. Ryanair, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, that's Which a good point, actually. So you pay for a window seat and got a... Got and actually, yeah. just before Neil Air, Mark uh, Webber-Webster has made a very good point, and Neville will appreciate this, those windows are probably not far off the size of Concord's uh, yes, windows. Yes, that's oh, right. Really? Yeah, yeah, very small windows on Concord. Oh, yeah. OK. All right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Take that one on board. Take that one on the chin, as they say. <laughs> so, Nev, you've got the next story, and it's all about something... Very interesting. This this quite surprised me this week, I must say. Uh, yes. Now, you're going to have to bear with me because th- there's a lot of numbers in this story and it is it is complicated. Even I haven't quite understood it. But let, let's see how we get on. Um, it's on the pointsguy.co.uk. It says that British Airways uh, have launched a new offer allowing you to easily boost your Avios balance every month, but at a price. Whilst the airline sells Avios for fixed usually quite high prices it offers bonuses from time to time bringing the price down to a more reasonable level Uh, this new offer is different though because any executive club member can opt to sign up for an avios subscription plan paying either monthly or annually which you have to pay up front now there's four different levels for this so bear with me this this is quite detailed there's a level called voyager where you'll receive 1667 avios points per month which is equivalent of 20,000 per year for 19 pounds per month or 185 pounds per year there's traveler where you'll receive 4167 avios per month which is the equivalent of 50,000 per year for 45 pounds a month or 455 pounds per year explorer where you'll receive 8334 avios per month which is the equivalent of 100,000 per year for 89 pounds per month or 899 pounds per year or at the top level there's adventurer where you'll receive 16667 avios points per month which is the equivalent of 200,000 per year for 179 pounds per month or £1,789 per year. So the annual cost is 10 times the monthly cost, so effectively you'll receive two months free uh, by opting to pay annually. If you choose the annual subscription, you'll be charged the entire amount up front, and it's non-refundable if you change your mind. It also auto-renews at the end of the year, so you'll need to opt out if you don't want to pay for second or subsequent years. The poorest value per Avios option is Voyager, which is paid if you pay it monthly, you'll be paying 1.13p per Avios, uh, whilst the best value Avios, Avios will be Adventure, Adventurer, which you pay annually, where the cost uh, is reduced to 0.9p per Avios. Um, and uh, the fact that given uh, the points guy currently values Avios 1.1p each, in the monthly valuations, uh, they will be a great way to acquire them. One of the best ways to, uh, to redeem Avios is for short-haul flights to uh, Europe in Euro Traveller economy class, 
which starts from 4,750 avios off peak, plus £17.50 in fixed fees, taxes and surcharges. If you're purchasing avios for 0.9p, that means you'd pay just £60.25 for a one-way off-peak flight to the likes of Amsterdam, Inverness, Berlin or Nice, which is actually quite a good deal. Mm. Uh, but on the other end of the scale, for long-haul business, class, re- uh, uh, class re- redemptions, you'll also can actually save quite large by purchasing your avios up front uh, in this way. So if you took uh, New York JFK uh, as a good redemption benchmark, it's usually easy to find availability in business class given the high frequencies on the route. So a return off-peak flight in business class will set you back 100,000 avios or £900 worth of avios if purchased as part of the annual adventurer package. Uh, BA currently charge £858.67 per person uh, for a return fee in fees, taxes and surcharges bringing the total cost to £1,759. Given the cheapest cash fares that we can see uh, on non-stop BA flights, which start from £3,000 return, with many dates twice this amount, that actually would be quite a considerable saving. However... You've got to work it all out because you've got to decide whether whether you think that is good value for money. You mm. know, if you're going to carry on um, flying or whether you need to buy Avios points like this. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah. I appreciate you don't uh, know know or and or understand. That. I mean, I've left this, the uh, graphic up there for a long time so people can mm. sort of see see what's going on here. I mean, does this? I mean, it, it seems like a quite a good deal. Like is like a way of sort of saving for saving for a, f- a flight almost if you like you like paying it because I noticed there is a monthly option there as well you don't have to pay for it up front um, either there is the option to do it on is a- it is it a good deal Nev? Um it is in the sense that you know compared compared to the the normal amount of avios that you would need to do these things because obviously you get two months free if you go for the upfront for the option annual, you're, you're yeah. paying for a year and something like that um but of course you can earn avios points in all sorts of other places you know in fuel stations uh supermarkets or all sorts of places like that as well so it depends on whether you're saving up for a specific kind of flight where you want to use your avios points to do it on um i think just doing it for the sake of it and paying those premiums per month that that might be a step too far for some people i think but um, mm. you know it's um an interesting angle and perhaps it's going to encourage well there's no shortage of passengers at the moment i, I can tell you that um but yeah. i'm just wondering if they're trying to find different and new innovative ideas to uh, to get bums on seats but so i mean looking looking at it from my perspective so if you've gathered a certain amount of like avios points for example mm. can you use those avios points to um redeem an entire flight for example so yes you can yeah. uh, however there is always restrictions on the flights that you can take so if you were going to amsterdam and you fancied having a you know an 11 o'clock flight which would be quite a nice time, something like that. Mm. Uh, often there's no avios availability for that time, even though oh. that's an off-peak service. So they might put you on the six o'clock in the morning flight, for example. Right. Uh, which, you know, that's, that means getting up at three or something mm. like that, doesn't it? So, um, but these are off-peak services they're talking about. So maybe there are that they've got better availability now because 
a few months ago, there was very poor availability, I thought, of, of some of these uh, redemption flights. So, um, right. But, um, yeah, I think it's a question of trying it out, really, isn't it? And see what... Uh, what people uh, can can get yeah i i I like the idea of being able to sort of like build points if you like even Mm. if you're not a flyer if you see what i mean so so that you could like sort of gather those points and then use them against something like a bit like a savings sort of i was gonna say yeah yeah if you if you wanted to save up for a flight i suppose it would be a way of offsetting a big cost of that flight if you've done it over the course of say a year Mm. Um, but would you get better value for money by just putting, you know, putting it in a in a savings account you can't get hold of without a month's mm-hmm. notice or something? Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. that sort of. But also, it depends, on, depends on the flight, though. Don't if you, if you're a European flight or a or a, a transatlantic mm-hmm. flight. Uh, Richard is asking: Is it free platinum status with every one million pound spent? Oh, it should be. Really, yeah, I think so. <laughs> There's lots, lots <laughs> of comments going on in the chat room. Actually, yeah. about oh, is that go on? Go yeah. on. Do you want to take some, Nev? Uh, let's have a look. Uh, Arne says uh, Avios is uh, poor man's crypto. He, he mm. might have a point there, actually. Um, and um, actually, Micah is saying that, um, as he rightly points out, the problem is that they can revalue the points at any time. So oh. actually, you're better off saving the cash. And that is true to a certain extent. You know, sometimes you're, you're better off um, saving the money for a, a, a by buying a flight with, with real money mm. uh, later on. But, um, you know, it, it will suit some people, but, but not all. I, I can see that. And I suppose if, if say, like in your scenario, Nev, where you're, you're flying regularly, perhaps it could be one of those ways of sort of Pop-ups. like, um, you know, I don't know, we're not spreading the cost, I suppose, because, it's you know, these are business flights that obviously you, I mean, you don't personally pay for them in the end, do you? I mean, it's... Uh, you know, obviously the company deals with that in, in mm. terms of, of that. But, um, yeah, in, an interesting one to look at. But perhaps what we've learned from this is there may be a better deal available elsewhere. Yeah, and I think it's just a question of the, the kind of flying that you do mm. um, and what suits you. you know, and, again, Avios flight availability, that, that is everything. Because if you, if you can't get the flight times from the airports that you want, then that doesn't make it sensible at all, mm. does it? So, no. you know. No, indeed. Yeah, it's very interesting. Mm. So, uh, next story. And um, we haven't had a... Well, I was going to say, we haven't had a good punch-up on an air, on an aircraft for a while, but we oh, certainly yes, have this we every, have. <laughs> every week. And comes to us from paddleyourowncanoe.com. And uh, we're going to Turkish Airlines for this one. Uh, Turkish Airlines flight was forced to make an emergency diversion after a passenger unleashes a violent attack on cabin crew. Now, Matt's got the video he'll play in a moment, and it is... <laughs> it's shocking. Uh, a Turkish Airlines flight from Istanbul to Jakarta, Indonesia, was forced to make an emergency diversion after a passenger was recorded on video throwing a punch at a member of cabin crew around nine hours into what should have been an 11-hour flight to the Indonesian capital. It's unclear what prompted the violence, but by the time the other passengers had started to record what was happening, the cabin crew were already attempting to restrain the unruly passenger. In a short video clip of the incident posted on Twitter, a member of cabin crew is seen to be holding a pair of plastic handcuffs before the passenger jumps towards him, swinging a punch. One witness claims the passenger had thrown a bottle of water at one of the flight attendants and the situation quickly escalated. 
During the short clip, another cabin crew quickly rushes to the aid of their colleagues and witnesses say the man was subdued with restraints before the aircraft was diverted to Kalamanu International Airport where authorities removed the suspect. The member of cabin crew who was attacked is believed to have received medical assistance but was not seriously injured in the incident. Turkish Airlines flight TK56 operated a Boeing 777-300 was on the ground for just over an hour before being cleared to continue its journey to Jakarta. Local media reports claim that the unruly behaviour on board the aircraft can land perpetrators in jail for up to a year. It's not known whether the suspect in this case has yet been charged. Mm. So, what do you think of the video? Well, uh, not good enough vertical video again. <laughs> if we're going to film fights, could we have it in the correct format, please? Thanks very much. I mean, we can't see a lot fr- from it, obviously. I mean, other than you know, it's it's. Well, you saw him steam in there with a punch. I, I just, yes. I don't understand what. Oh, it's exactly the same as what we were saying. What two weeks ago? I literally don't understand these people doing this full stop. Um, and that, but then I guess I'm not the problem, am I? This is this this is the thing. I just I think the thing that upsets me the most about uh, this is that uh, you know we both we all have very good friends who either work in the aviation industry or who are cabin crew, and the the thought of these people, these amazing people, um, being um sort of you know subjected to this is is a real issue for me i i i get quite sort of distressed about it all if i'm honest with you and part of me almost no i mean i i I was uh, you know making light of it uh, earlier but no these are real problems and of course we don't know the circumstances leading up to this whether there was some alcohol or some drugs involved or, or someone had an issue b- before that. But I remember talking to, in fact, it was the crew coming back from Jersey, I think, wasn't it, mm. um, Carlos? I think the, the Stephen, who was the uh, in-flight lead there, he said, yeah, we get a, get a lot of problems, you know, people spitting at us and just being abusive and, and all sorts of things like that. And it, it's just ridiculous. Uh, and, of course, the trouble is when you're on these long flights, uh, then, you know, it, there is the potential for things to happen. Um, but I, this has been going on for decades now, hasn't it? Uh, and um, I think the, the crew are highly re- uh, trained in restraining passengers and keeping order. But you've always got to be on your guard. You just don't know what's going to happen next with, with these uh, uh, passengers. And it's just awful for for the average passenger that's just going away on holiday somewhere and that they're... Yeah, it's going to relax and just have a nice time. And then this happens. It must be awful. You know, we spoke about this a few weeks back, didn't we, guys? But perhaps that needs to be part of the um, pre-flight safety briefing video. You know, passengers who do this kind of thing will Mm. be, um, you know, dealt with and subject to you you see that now don't you in um uh, passport control or security Mm -hmm. or immigration um it says that our uh, um our staff are not here to you know take any kind of abuse and it will be dealt with in the the strongest possible manner manner, yeah absolutely yeah yeah Yeah, as i say and unfortunately i mean i think i think we covered that last last time wasn't it where that you know we we felt that it ought to be part of the um the safety video going forward but uh i I don't know i I, i'm still sitting on the fence i I don't see why it should even be a thing 
No, it's ridiculous that we're even having this conversation, yeah, isn't it? Agreed. But uh, I'm sure there'll be, every two or three weeks, there'll be a story yeah. somewhere yeah, uh, on a commercial airline where it's all kicked off and it's just not nice at all. Although I, know, I noticed, interestingly enough, and this, and this is a real concern here, and I, we all do it, don't get me wrong, but like Arnie's sort of saying alcohol and medical drugs do it mm. i mean and we're all a bit guilty of you know sort of taking a couple Indulging. of well taking a couple of you know sort of paracetamol with our red wine uh just to sort of make the headache go away do you know what i mean it's like, uh, I yeah but I, I think that yeah um <laughs> I, I think maybe that, that there's other prescription drugs which you know when mixed with alcohol can have some pretty agreed awful yeah. effects can't yeah, they yeah, really, absolutely so. and of course yeah. they, they should be they will you know in, inevitably have been aware of that before they started throwing punches i guess but mm, yeah there yeah. we go right. anyway mm. next story match you've got yes. and we're, we're back with ryanair again oh good right I'm so pleased. Uh, yes, it is the sun that we're off to for our travel advice today. And it's hold off. Alfie. Uh, hello, Alfie. Uh, yes, uh, it's uh, sorry, he's very excited to be home from his holiday. He didn't enjoy it very much. We have to be honest, he wasn't very happy. Uh, anyway, uh, Ryanair has issued a travel update uh, for Brits with flights next week. The low-cost airline is one of the strictest with passengers checking in before their flight. Anyone who fails to do so has to pay £55 at the airport to check in before boarding. Ryanair has issued a warning for passengers with flights next week that the website and app will be undergoing maintenance, meaning people won't be able to check in online. They said due to planned maintenance, Ryanair, the Ryanair website and app will be temporarily down from 8pm on Wednesday the 19th of October to 5am on Thursday the 20th. Customers who are due to fly during this nine hour period should check in online before 6pm on Wednesday the 19th of October. Ryanair states on their website that it is free to check in for Ryanair flights with Flexi Plus passengers given 60 days and everyone else given 24 hours before their flight. Some people have already been caught out by the strict £55 check-in fee. One woman treated, I spent hours yesterday trying to get through customer services. I couldn't check in online and couldn't get through. Today, I had to pay £55 for airport check-in, despite explaining the situation. Extremely disappointed. Another said, you charged me £55, £550, I think, is it? um, Drachma? Yeah, possibly, I think. No, not Drachma, it's... um... Oh, Mar- is, is it? Yeah, Marrakesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to check in yesterday to Marrakesh Airport because your app wasn't working. Uh, make sure you have printed your boarding pass or have it on your phone. Failure to do so will include a fine of £20. Uh, you will need to print your boarding pass uh, for some destinations such as Turkey, Morocco and Kefalonia in Greece as they won't accept mobile passes. The airline also has strict rules when it comes to their hand luggage allowances. Ryanair passengers can only take a small personal bag in the cabin free of charge, measuring a maximum of 23 centimetres by 20 centimetres by 40 centimetres. But one woman revealed the clever way that she gets around the Ryanair hand luggage rules and sadly that information hasn't been shared with us so (laughs) so, uh, my advice would be when we put it in the show notes uh, that uh, yeah it's the sun 
www.co.uk uh, and all the details you need of me on so, there. So basically, it's, it's one of those routine maintenance things, isn't it? So It is, yeah. I mean, they, they, and they've obviously been very candid. They've, they've explained the situation and all that kind mm. of thing. Um, I, I guess people are going to get caught out by this because there are a lot of people who don't watch out for things like that. I mean, I would be horrified if you, me or Nev or Armando got caught out by something like this because... Um, you know, they, it usually does say, say in emails and things like that, you know, unless it's unplanned maintenance and then that's a different kettle of fish, obviously. And I would expect the airline to be a little bit more flexible when it comes to stuff like that. But, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a way to try and encourage people to pay, pay for the flexi thing so admit, that they can do it 60 days in advance. I, I don't know what, what you guys are doing, but whenever I, you know, whenever I do go away on a flight, I have to admit, even with the mobile passes, I, I do still always tend to print out oh yeah absolutely yeah 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 well i mean tech will go down at the end of the day so mm-hmm. you know i mean i always have it in the front of my 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 little suitcase that you know a printed copy of the uh, boarding pass and things just again it's still it's probably just got the qr code still on it that's on your yeah. phone but you know you so say you've got a hard copy in case something goes wrong do, do you rely just on your phone app nev when you're uh, i do having- now uh, but i also take a screenshot of it as well uh, which then gets saved to the iCloud so I can pick it up on any kind of device. So yeah. should I lose my phone or something like that? Um, I have stopped um, printing out real boarding passes now because I'm just flying so much. Yeah. I, yeah. I wouldn't have enough space for it all. But, um, I mean, it is pretty reliable for the, for the most part. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's not too bad. Agreed. So, Nev, you've got the next story, and uh, we're looking at... Uh, well, we're looking at that new standard of cabin, which seems to be the very popular one now. Yeah, the premium economy uh, economy one seems to be uh, more popular than ever before. Also, because it becomes a bit more affordable in, in some situations. Um, cntraveller.com uh, mentions nine airlines with premium economy cabins, which might be worth splurging on. But it's not always easy to tell the difference between economy, economy plus and premium economy. But premium economy, if it's done well, offers more than just a few inches, extra inches of legroom. If you think about the ideal premium economy as a kind of business class light option with better meals, fancier cocktails, roomier seats and upgraded amenities such as dedicated check-in and access to more storage space. Um, So... The list of these amenities and the airlines that offer them is only set to grow according to predictions from airline analysts, especially as passengers have been seeking out more space on uh, aircraft. A few good rules rules of thumb to keep in mind, though, when deciding whether to spring for that premium economy fare. Um, Usually international carriers and long-haul routes have premium economy cabins that offer most perks with newer planes like uh, the Airbus A350-1000 and the more classic wide bodies such as the Airbus A380, Boeing 777 and Boeing 787, uh, typically sporting some of the uh, better cabins. So here are some of the premium economy seats that are, are actually worth upgrading for. Uh, Emirates, one of the most anticipated premium economy cabins in the sky. Emirates debuted its... Uh, sorry, debuted its uh, version of this offering last year. This year, the seats are continuing to roll out to more aircraft, specifically on Emirates' latest double-decker A380 aircraft. The cabin can be found at the front of the first deck. 
And these seats are currently open for bookings on routes from Dubai to Paris, Charles de Gaulle, London Heathrow and Sydney, Kingsford Smith, with Christchurch in New Zealand being added to the list in early 2023. For premium economy travellers, the perks start in the airport with a separate check-in desk, larger carry-on bag allowance and free seat selection. Inside the cabin, Emirates invoke the same design elements as the airline's iconic business class cabin such as cream leather with stitching details and wood accents passengers also get a large throw pillow six wear adjustable headrest calf and foot rests and an in-flight entertainment screen measuring 3.3 inches sorry 13.3 inches wide as well as a dining table with side cocktail table and charging ports uh, as for in-flight dining you can expect three three-course dinners served on Royal Dalton uh, China tableware with stainless steel cutlery. Emirates always include a dish local to the flight's destination on the premium economy menu, like Thai pepper beef with jasmine rice and pak choy. That sounds rather nice, doesn't it? Uh, Top it all off with a complimentary glass of wine or something sparkly like the vintage 2012 Chandon, one of the array of drink selections from the business class wine list not available in regular economy. I, um, I, I want to know what the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, food offering would be for London Heathrow. What's the the tailored to the <laughs> bang as a mash? Right. Okay. Or, might be. Mightn't it? Yeah. 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 Might be. Yeah. Or 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 a, a vindaloo or something. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we've got quite a lot of these to go through, so I'm okay. just going to pick out. Uh, I'm, I'm going to mention them all, but I'm just going to yeah. do a, a couple of paragraphs. Of course. Each. Yeah. Um, so on Qantas, uh, which is obviously Australia's uh, premium economy cabin, uh, that's available on their 787 and on the retrofitted A380s. It's completely separate from the re- regular economy with seats in a 232 layout. Seats are much wider and have more legroom than in economy, uh, but they also have uh, feature wider armrests with storage compartments, two USB outlets and an ergonomic headrest and a footrest. Uh, all Nippon Airways uh, flies booked in their premium economy class will receive many of the same benefits as flying in the Japanese Airlines plush business class. On international flights, premium economy passengers are guaranteed access to ANA's lounge at its major airports, including Haneda and Narita Airport in Tokyo, uh, Osaka's Kansai Airport and the Honolulu Airport. They also receive priority baggage handling uh, on virgin atlantic their sleekly designed plane interiors uh, there's quite a lot to celebrate like the revamped upper class cabin on the airline's uh, a350 aircraft with the loft lounge not least amongst them is virgin's premium economy cabin which they simply call premium which is available on the uh, a3 uh, sorry a330 220 and a330 300 aircraft it's a350-1000 and 797-9 Dreamliners. Uh, seats are roomy. They're up to 21 inches wide, 4 inches wider than economy, and have 7 to 8 inches of recline and up to 38 inches of pitch. Each one also has a footrest. Uh, Singapore, uh, well, they're, obviously they're very well known for their very high-quality first-class suites, also has a very good premium economy section available on the A350, A380 and Boeing 777. Seats are very spacious with up to 19.5 inches of width and 8-inch recline as well as a calf and a footrest. 
Each spot also has two USB ports and a 13.3-inch screen that comes with noise-cancelling headphones. Uh, SAS Scandinavian Airlines also has a premium product. Uh, that's available on the A330, A340 and A350 aircraft. They call that SAS Plus. Seats are laid out in a 232 or 242 uh, formation, depending on which aircraft it is. On flights to the US and Asia, the seats are larger than in the regular economy to the tune of 18.8 inches wide uh, and also has a 12-inch entertainment screen. Uh, Cathay Pacific, uh, well, obviously their business class ranks amongst, amongst the top in the world, but its premium economy on the Boeing 777 and A350 is also worth uh, some attention, I think. Uh, set in a separate cabin in a 242 layout, Seats of ample space with up to 20 inches of width and up to 40 inches of pitch, according to Seat Guru. There are also full-length calf rests and a leather-padded foot rests on the A350 Boeing 777-300ERs and a larger tray table. Uh, on LATAM, uh, the seats in their premium cabin are slightly roomier than the regular economy, but with a bit more leg space and recline as well. The airline blocks out the cabin's middle seats so that passengers have more elbow room. Also, you get a ticket in the uh, in this cabin comes with on-the-ground perk, perks like premium check-in and premium boarding. Uh, premium economy flyers on international routes within Latin America are also permitted access to the airline's VIP airport lounge. And finally, uh, Air Canada. Uh, if you're flying premium economy on uh, uh, Canada, you'll get a wider seat with 18 to 20, 20 inches of width, uh, which depends on the aircraft, seven more inches of legroom for a total pitch of 38 inches. You get a deeper recline, footrest and a larger seat back screen parallel outlets and USB at every seat. The cabins are arranged in a 232 layout for a less crowded feel. And the separate cabin is available on their 777-300 and 787-8 and uh, also the A330-300 aircraft flying both domestic and international routes. So it might be worth a go at some of the premium economy uh, cabins in some of these. They've, they've certainly got some, some nice offerings. It depends on how much they're going to charge you, of course. But uh, I must I say, the, the, some, good, uh, some good things being offered there, aren't there? The Emirates one looks amazing, actually. Yeah. Um, it almost looks like a business class seat, mm. certainly based yeah. on, on that mm. picture there. That looks looks really quite roomy with the little table and all that. Having watched, watched their promo video on YouTube for their premium economy um, seat, and it, it does, honestly, if you've, if you've not seen it yet, you need to look on YouTube and watch their promo video for their premium because it, it is absolutely stunning. Mm. The, the Not just the, the, um, the seat, but just the general uh, cabin layout in a premium is, is well, it just, it looks like as good as business, to mm. be fair. Yeah. Indeed. It's a popular thing, though, premium, I will say. It's a popular thing. It's becoming more affordable as well, like Nev said, um, with some of the airlines now. If you look, look hard enough, anyway. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, next up uh, is um, a story from getsurry.co.uk. And uh, this is for all our aircraft spotters. Jonathan Warner, 
uh, is uh, one of those. And uh, this is the best places at Heathrow Airport to go plane spotting before your flight. So one of the uh, things that Heathrow Airport offers you before its flight is a chance to see planes close up and personal. While they are often just dots in the sky to most of us all the time, the experience of seeing aircraft take off and land can fill us with childlike wonder, as it's not something you get to see every day. Keen plane spotters may be wondering which parts of the airport give you the best view of aircraft. And luckily, Heathrow Airport has created a handy list with this information. Uh, these include the best viewing spots in each of the terminals, as well as spot non-passengers can go to as well. Uh, perhaps the best spot is the observation deck. You can find this in Terminal 4. Um, here you'll find stunning 270-degree views of the southern runway, as well as binoculars and flight tracking touchscreens. No matter where you are, though, you can find decent views in any of the following places. So Terminal 2... Uh, you've got the Wonder Tree restaurant in the departure lounge, giving you great views of the runway. Terminal 3, you've got the panoramic view of the runway that can be seen from the number one traveller lounge. However, a charge applies for this. It's, about, it's around about £35, £36, I think it is, to get in the number one lounge. But you do get drink and food included in that. Uh, Terminal 4, the view Heathrow observation deck. This can be found near gates 15 and 16 at Terminal Terminal 4, the observation deck. At Terminal 5, there's great views almost anywhere um, here, but uh, Gordon Ramsay's Plain Food and Wagamama offers the best spots. Uh, Heathrow Academy, for those not travelling to the airport, they can visit the covered viewing stand near the building on Newall Road, which looks like the uh, looks over at the northern runway. Um, but beware, there is a charge for parking there. On those. I've actually been there a couple of times. Um, I've met some friends there and stuff. The the one at the Heathrow Academy, um, but um, yeah, as you say, it's it's not expensive. I think it was only about six pounds. I think for you to mm. park there all day, um, which fran- think, frankly for London is incredible. <laughs> what do you reckon, Nev? Have you been to any of the? I mean, you, obviously you're you're a T five man yourself, aren't you? Uh, mainly, yes. Yeah, I know that there, there is true. Actually, there's some quite good, uh, quite good spots there. Um, some of the BA lounges overlook the apron as well of the A gate, so you can have a good look at the aircraft there. Um, it is to one end of the runway, though, so it's to one end of I think it's zero nine, uh, the, the zero nine right. I think it will be. Um, so you don't always see what's going on there unless they're taking off. Uh, to the east but um no it's good uh, it's a pity of course that the queen's building is no longer available for spotting that was always a great place to go to for for many people back in the uh, 70s and 80s uh, mm. but due to security issues they, they've stopped that now uh, which is a pity um so you're stuck with these these other ones as well but it, it's 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 better than nothing i suppose yeah indeed and I, i've mentioned before haven't i there there used to be an incredible viewing gallery at uh, manchester um you, you mm. could sort of go upstairs and it was you know it was sort of like well, it wasn't quite a dome but it was you know you had good views all the way around um from there but uh yeah or you can just do it like uh mr warner does and rocks up pretty much anywhere where there's a runway and starts <laughs> taking and starts he'll still, taking five thousand photos anyway he yeah, will still get photos he, yeah. good photos he's like that anyway so matt you've got the next story mm. and uh, it's one i think you guys picked up on this week wasn't it in the news feeds 
Yeah, and, although it's just, the trouble is, is it's come from the sun. Okay, so um, <laughs> the the problem with that is, is the headline. The headline is brace yourselves. I hope you're all sat down. It says, "Shocking moment: Boeing seven four seven loses a wheel moments after takeoff as smoking part hurtles towards the runway." Now, forgive me. Um, I didn't think there were any. Oh, it's the Dreamlifter, was it? Okay, yes. all right. Oh, it's just like, hang on a minute. I thought all the four seven fours had been retired, but uh, all the pass no, this, the passenger this is the ones, boy. I should say. Yeah. Anyway, yes. So shocking moment that the Boeing seven four seven loses a wheel moments after takeoff as as a smoking part hurtles towards the runway. Footage shows the wheel appearing to catch fire as it launches off the aircraft, all hurtling towards the runway. A clip of the mishap, which was snapped yesterday, close to the airstrip in. Toronto, Italy, uh, shows a part fl- uh, shows the part fly through the air in a blaze before disappearing from the shot. Posting the event on Twitter, they said the Boeing seven four seven four hundred Dreamlifter uh, has one of its tires on fire and loses its wheel after takeoff. Black smoke can be seen coming from the undercarriage of the aircraft as the wheel comes loose. Uh, it is then uh, seen hitting the ground and bouncing along below the plane the wheel i don't know quite what they expected it to do other than that uh, the wheel had broken through the airport perimeter fence and was recovered from a vineyard adjacent to the airport or a vineyard sorry adjacent to the airport the same twitter user posted an image of the wheel apparently in a forest covered with leaves another user saw the funny side asking whether the plane needed the wheel after all amazingly the jet carried on its takeoff without any visible effects thankfully the plane a supersized cargo version of a jumbo jet landed just after 7 p.m uk time yesterday at its destination in north carolina so uh, i've got a little video here that uh, that uh, carlos has prepared for us uh, let's have a little listen see 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 if there's anything we can see oh yes it's off it's taking off looking good all looking good looking good uh, oh there oh 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 obviously that piece didn't didn't want to go so what's interesting there is the smoke appeared before it then came off the aircraft I, yeah, I wonder it, if that was uh, brake dust, perhaps, or something. Oh, like I that. see. Yes, of course. Um, perhaps, yeah. um, but of course, the, the that wheel coming off at that speed—I mean, that could have gone in any direction, and that could have done an awful <laughs> lot of damage, damage yeah. uh, to your allotment or your shed or you know, <laughs> whatever vineyard or, or vineyard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, indeed. But, um, but no, there's no point in going back. Um, even yeah. if they knew about it straight away, they might as well carry on to their destination. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, Matt, you've, you've got some facts on the aircraft in question, haven't you? Oh, have I? Right, OK. Uh, uh, sorry, you confused me because it said interesting info facts that I didn't find interesting. But anyway, the N-71... Uh, the N... So, November 718BA, uh, November 718 Bravo Alpha. Yes, 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 OK. Uh, started life back in 1992 with Malaysian Airlines, uh, take, making it 30.2 years old. It was delivered to Boeing in 2007 for conversion uh, to the Dreamlifter. Oh, so it, spent, so it spent a bit of life with another airline before going back to Boeing, essentially. 
Yeah, it, it started life mm. as a passenger aircraft, passenger 747 with Malaysia Airlines before it was converted into uh, that, that Dreamlifter back in right. 20, uh, 2007. You and I differ greatly yeah. on what is considered interesting, my friend. <laughs> mm. Aviation show, man. Yeah, no, fair point, yeah. <laughs> so, Nev, you've got the, uh, the next uh, uh, story, and I thought I'd give this story to you, Nev, because we've chatted about this a bit in the past. It's all seemed to have gone a bit kind of... Pete Tong this week. Well, yeah, Lufthansa have got themselves into a bit of a tizzy over the air tags business, um, and they've reversed their decision. Uh, they now say that Apple air tags are once again allowed in travellers' checked luggage. The airline changed its mind uh, the day before yesterday, actually, saying it consulted with German aviation authorities who agreed that Bluetooth trackers were safe. Previous reports that Lufthansa was banning air tags uh, sent travellers into a tailspin, uh, concerned that other airlines may follow suit. Uh, but the airline announced on Twitter that the German Aviation Authority confirmed that the Apple AirTag and other tracking devices with meagre battery and transmission power do not pose a safety threat in checked luggage. Uh, Apple AirTags are small devices that can be attached to belongings or placed in bags to allow them to be tracked via an iPhone. Uh, airlines do not allow lithium batteries in checked baggage if they have a watt-hour rating of 100 or more, but the AirTag uses a 3-volt CR2032 coin cell battery with a 0.66 watt-hour capacity. Now, the airline uh, created a good deal of confusion with the original announcement. It was heavily criticised after telling passengers that they would need to deactivate the trackers in luggage stowed in the cargo holds because of international guidelines for personal electronic devices. Uh, Apple rejected that interpretation on, on Tuesday, saying that its trackers complied with all airline safety regulations. In the US, this was confirmed by the FAA and the uh, TSA. Uh, EASA in Europe said that the regulation did not in itself ban or allow the trackers, but that operators had the right to determine which devices were safe to use in flight. So following initial reports in the German media, the airline's Twitter account was asked to confirm that a ban was in place. In one tweet, Lufthansa confirmed that the rumour of banning activated air tags from luggage as they are classified as dangerous and needed to be turned off. Well, my only comment on all of that would be, I would imagine that Apple, being the size of manufacturer they are, probably did talk to the FAA and probably did talk to EASA about uh, power consumption and battery business, you know, because obviously these are going to be in checked luggage. So before they even manufactured the product, I would imagine that they and other competitive manufacturers uh, would have done all that. So um, the fact that they've got themselves, uh, well, Lufthansa have got themselves in a bit of a mess with this is, uh, <laughs> well, could have been avoided really, I would have thought. Mm. But um, anyway, so, uh, but I've got a couple of uh, air tags. I've, funnily enough, since I bought them, I've not done any checked luggage since the, what we call the, the, the Portugal incident uh, from uh, <laughs> earlier in the year. Uh, so I'm just not checking anything at all at the moment. Um, so I'm cramming everything into my hand luggage um, to take on board the aircraft. But when I do go on holiday, I will uh, use the air tags uh, for, for check luggage, definitely. Yeah, I, I just... I, my my only sort of thing with this is... So just, just try and explain to me, Nev, if you can, because obviously you've got some. Um, I mean, 
because you were able to track where your luggage was, even though even though you were essentially nowhere near your luggage. Yes. So how I mean, how does that work? So because my understanding was it was a little Bluetooth thing, which is fine if you're within range of the of the device, if you see what I mean. But so what happens? Yeah, well, of course, this when we were in Portugal, I didn't have the air tags at that point. Oh, so other people that did, um, because the, the ground crew in the or the ground handling team in uh, Faro were going, oh, it'll be off on the next carousel, and the folks going, no, it won't, because it's at Heathrow Terminal Three, and I can show you that it's at Heathrow Terminal Three yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, so it, it syncs up with the iCloud as well. Right. So so that's how it, it's uh, trackable. A bit like, um, well, the app on my car, for example, you know, on, on the phone tells me where, where the car is, literally in, right. anywhere in, in the world. Um, so it, it's, I think it's a very valuable uh, piece of mm. equipment for the passenger. Um, and now maybe the ground handling staff may not appreciate all of that, but at the end of the day, with the sort of luggage situation that we had going on earlier in the year, yeah. I think knowledge is power in these yes. situations. Indeed, don't you? absolutely. And um, at least you know if it's on its way or not, yeah, I suppose. Exactly that's the thing, right. isn't but, it? Uh, yeah. but no, these are just those small CR2032 batteries. They are not lithium-ion batteries. No of the type that you would have in your iPhone or other portable device. They're the old school alkaline ones, aren't they? That's it. Those were, those were the days, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Carlos. Well, I know. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking do, I, do, I, do I purchase um, one of the similar type devices, not the Apple um, one, obviously? Because there are other devices out there, aren't there, I think? No. Oh, very funny, Mr. No, Smith. no, very there funny. aren't. No, well, it depends. You know, I mean, if you want something that works, then no. <laughs> I remember that next time you uh, you you messaged a group saying, "My blinking Mac." I oh, mind you, you don't know. Don't have you've a got, Mac. No, you don't have a Mac now, do you? <laughs> very true. And I've had nothing but trouble ever since. But anyway, <laughs> oh yeah, whatever. Anyway, moving uh, swiftly on. I tried, uh, Nev. I tried. I tried. <laughs> next story is. <laughs> Be interested to see what Matt would have thought about this uh, video if he would have been standing on the side of uh, the uh, walkway oh, when goody, he saw I this. Can't but, wait to uh, say, I can't wait to see this. Then. This one comes yeah. to us from cbsnews.com, and uh, it's, uh, it's Fleet Week. Boeing 777 flies low over the Golden Gate Bridge for Fleet Week. San Francisco, one of the most remarkable sights of the Fleet Week air show, is seeing a massive United Airlines jet fly over the Golden Gate Bridge and low over San Francisco Bay. It's a sight that still inspires veteran pilot Scott Cartvelt, who is in charge of training the pilots to fly the United Airlines 777 during the Fleet Week air show. To see a commercial airliner fly over an iconic setting like the San Francisco Bay is amazing, he said. There are a couple of favourite manoeuvres, like the initial pass, because there's a little bit of inspiration when you see that big airplane at 300 feet. The 777-300ER is the largest airplane in United's fleet, and uh, the air radio station, TV station, got an up-close look at the plane at the United Maintenance Base in San Francisco Airport. We'll run that VT in just a moment. Uh, it's truly an aerodynamic and engineering marvel, Carbot said. It's an enormous aircraft, and there are four pilots who are trained to fly the aircraft during the air show. Three will be in the aircraft during the flight demonstration, and no passengers will be on board, he said. 
They said they come over from the Pacific over the Golden Gate Bridge and they're limited to 300 feet or 30 degrees bank angle of bank and 300 knots. The first pass is exactly that, 300 feet with 30 or 300 feet with 30 degrees of angle of bank and 300 knots on the speed. We roll wings level, pitch up, turn around Alcatraz, he said, and the dynamics of the aircraft aren't that different from what you'd fly when you're here on the plane as a passenger. It just happens to be a little bit lower. Uh, So you have the fixed objects of the bay, Alcatraz, and it looks amazing. He hopes that the show will amaze and to inspire and inspire future generations of pilots. He said there's no pilot shortage in commercial aviation. And they hope that so many young men and women who look up and say, I want to do that. Well, you can do that, he said. The United Airlines flight demonstration will take place twice daily throughout the weekend of the Fleet Week. And right after the National Anthem and again right before the Blue Angels fly, he said. Oh, that's quite nice, I thought. It's quite low, I will say, for a passenger yes. aircraft of that size. I mean, I'd be, I'd be more impressed if he went under the bridge. Oh, <laughs> Trust me, it's been it's it's been tried on Microsoft oh, Flight Sim and oh, Explain. Yeah, right. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean it's it's an impressive thing, isn't it? At the end of the day, is sort of. Uh... It's, uh, but again, it's like the A380, and I know I keep mentioning it when we saw it at um, Farnborough all those years ago. I think it was the 2016 one, wasn't it? It was the, mm. that one there, and, and sort of watching that being put through its paces was um, astounding, you know. And it's it's one of my longest memories that will stay out to see that ridiculously huge aircraft because it didn't. Thing is, is when it was doing its manoeuvres, it didn't look that huge, and then we saw it on the ground. And it was just like, this thing is ridiculous, you know, and it was busy being thrown. I mean, don't get me wrong, it probably had no seats in it and it probably, uh, you know, it was probably light as a feather and only had, you know, the required amount of fuel and all that kind of thing so that they were literally allowed to throw it around like a toy. But, um, yeah, I I dare say this this United plane was doing something similar, wasn't it? It probably got, you know... Yeah, 300 feet is not that... uh, It's not that high at all, is it? Not that high. No. No, indeed. There we go. Anyway, that brings the commercial news segment to a close. It's time to hand things over uh, to Nev to introduce uh, the next part of the show. Yes, we've got a couple more videos of uh, our trip to the Jersey International Air Display. Uh, and uh, we've got a, uh, the first video uh, we've got is uh, Carlos talking to Doug Smith. Now, Doug's the manager of the Red Arrows display team, and he talks in a lot of detail about how they go about the whole display. Uh, and then straight after that, um, you'll see myself and Carlos back in the uh, the marquee uh, in the morning before the air show. And you might have seen in last week's show uh, Carlos getting very up close and personal with the OV-10 Bronco and Chuck, uh, the pilot, who was flying it that day. Uh, so we'll be talking about that as well. But first, uh, over to Jersey, where Carlos is chatting to Doug. Well, I'm here with Doug Smith. And, uh, Doug, you are the team manager here for the Red Arrows. Uh, uh, I, I am indeed, yes. Yes, I've been, been in position for uh, four and a half years now. And your, what, what does your job entail? What do you do for the team? So I, I do all the jobs that, that nobody else wants to do. <laughs> um, it's very much a, a planning and delivery piece. Uh, so back in the UK, so and, and obviously we include Jersey as part of that, um, it's, it's delivering the ground engagement. So the PR stand here, and in conjunction with my, uh, my colleague Andrew Morton, who's the, uh, the team PR manager, um, we 
we coordinate everything on the ground within the UK. Now, when we then go overseas um, to, for example, we're doing a, a tour to the Middle East this year, um, we will uh, go and recce the sites beforehand, but it's all about um, trade and industry flying the flag for UK PLC abroad. So th- there's a whole bigger piece that's involved with that, and it's, again, planning, coordinating and delivering that. So what go or how much effort goes or planning goes into I mean such as the air show here today mm. when does this planning start for so, so as you can imagine Red Arrow's an incredibly busy team through through the UK uh, display season uh, we we are planning on 65 shows this year um, so we've just done Bournemouth uh, on the south coast which is you know our biggest show of the year in terms of audience partic- participation numbers um, so a show like Jersey, we're probably only looking at it maybe a month out because we're continually sort of planning the next show and the next show. It's almost like uh, fighting the closer crocodile's canoe in that respect. So obviously with the things that's been going on over the last few years, it's been quiet, you know, things have been shut down essentially with air shows. Yep. Would you say that this year has been a busy year for the Reds? It has. Um, it is almost back to our traditional norm. Um, we... Sort of going into COVID, I would say anywhere between 70 and 80 air shows a year is, is wow. how much we would deliver. So to get back to about 65 this year, we're pretty much back to what we would normally have done pre-COVID. Um, but then I mentioned the overseas tour. That, that 65 doesn't include actually deploying for five, five weeks overseas um, to the Middle East. So that's another maybe half a dozen to ten shows that we'll do over there as well. Wow, because I saw you at uh, Dubai not so long back. Oh, you're there for the expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Very good. Very uh, it good was fantastic. Yeah, it was. It, it was really good to get the team on the road again uh, and deliver something meaningful. And we're part of the Middle East tour this year. Uh, we will go back to uh, Abu Dhabi and, and do some delivery in Abu Dhabi. So, obviously, me and Nev flew in um, uh, yesterday for the uh, for the show, and it was quite the eventful uh, landing at Jersey here it is. with the A319 yeah yeah absolutely um, <laughs> it's, it's quite a small runway yeah but you guys don't have a lot of uh, problems with uh... well Jersey in particular I think the runway is 5,800 feet and generally we like to operate on a runway that's uh, at least 6,000 feet it's still within limits for us but a problem with small runways is uh, when they get wet the brake, it affects the braking yeah. action of the aircraft and therefore actually reduces the landing length that we have so it does create problems if we've got a wet runway on a small runway. Wow. So going forward this year, what have you got left in the programme for this year? I suppose you've still got air shows leading right through to the end of the year? Or do you, uh, do you have a well, not, point? not quite. So we, we're going to Northern Ireland um, uh, after Jersey. So the Jets depart for Prestwick on Saturday. Okay. Um, they'll display in Northern Ireland and then... The, one of the traditional sort of final displays of the season, and it's the old iconic shot over the Tyne Bridge, is the Great North Run on Sunday. So we will display and do fly past over the bridge while the, the runners are going across the bridge. Now, I live in Norwich, well, just outside Norwich. Yep. It was great to see you guys there a while back. Indeed. And it was very nice to see you all lined up yeah, there at Norwich absolutely. Airport. And it definitely sparked some interest yeah, with, yeah. Uh, with our locals in the area. Yep. But um, is there any sort of particular air show that, that you, you kind of the one you really look forward to I mean obviously Riyadh you've got Riyadh and uh, some of the big ones in the UK but yeah. are there any that stand out for you um, 
Do you know what? There the, the probably isn't. Uh, and I say that because I think anywhere we go to, um, the, the, the love for the, for the Red Arrows is just enormous. Mm. And, it, and it's, in some places, it's quite overwhelming. Um, one of my personal favourites is actually coming to Jersey. I think this is a terrific bay to do an air show in. And, and the people of Jersey, we've been coming here for decades now to, to display for them, and they just absolutely love it. So, uh, yeah, actually, personally, one of my favourites is Jersey. It's Jersey. Yeah, yeah. So, Doug, a bit about your kind of start in aviation. Um, where did that start for you? Uh, so, <laughs> I joined the Air Force back in 1988, so I, I'm just coming up uh, 35 years now. Um, and by far the best and busiest job is, is what I'm doing now uh, with the team. Um, it's a huge honour and privilege to do what we do. Uh, and I'm lucky because this is my second tour on the team. So, I, I was the operations officer. Uh, 2014 to 16, um, promoted off to work with the Chinooks actually at Odium for a year and a half, and then came back as a full-time reservist as team manager. And as a reservist, I I give the team a bit of continuity. So rather than uh, as a standard RAF officer, perhaps uh, do two or three years, and then the team loses that corporate knowledge and experience, um, I am essentially a permanent fixture. So I will probably um, do this job, hopefully, until I retire, um, which would be fantastic because it is just the best job in the world. Would you say as a team manager, Doug, that you, with obviously the guys that are flying the aircraft, but you are, you tell them what to do? Uh, is that, is yeah, that, I mean, obviously yeah. I, I don't have anything to do with, with what they do in the air. Uh, yeah. They are very much are the specialists in that and, and kind of the best in the business at what they do. Um, so my, my job is firmly keeping my feet on, on the, the ground. ground. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but uh, like this morning, we um, we did a bit of uh, ground engagement with the Holidays for Heroes uh, from Jersey. So we had uh, 46 veterans up on the airfield. And um, it, it is about sort of corralling and herding and making sure that the correct people are in the correct place at the right time. If you had advice for the younger listeners that listen to our show, because we do have a lot of young people who listen to the show, and they wanted to to, you know, to get to where you are yep. as a manager yeah, or even uh, to, to do something like this within the Royal Air Force, yep. what would you so say I, the best? So I would say start early. Um, do the route that I did before I joined the Air Force, so uh, sort of 10, 11, 12 years old, uh, look, look to become an Air Connect. We have Air Connect organisation j- just along the, uh, the avenue here. So that, to me, is the best way to trigger that, that interest in the Royal Air Force. And you can fly within the cadets. Um, then, potentially... University within universities, you have the university air squadrons. So again, you can you can uh, have the opportunity to fly, and to me, that's the best uh, stepping stone to, to getting into the service. So, looking forward to the future now. So obviously, you know, with what the job you do here, you want to stay in this position now for the foreseeable and yeah, kind of see hopefully, out. hopefully, yeah, yeah, absolutely. As I said, uh, you know, it, I think it's a very rare thing that somebody gets up for work in the morning. Uh, looking forward to going into work every single day, and and, and uh, you we'd know, all I'm, love to do. That, I'm I think, lucky yeah. to have that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and I get to do so many different things. You know, we're we're here in Jersey this week, at Bournemouth last weekend. We get to, to go all around uh, the UK, uh, and hopefully entertain and inspire um, the the sort of younger generation. So, Doug, you spoke a little bit before we went uh, went recorded, but you're talking about your you had actually had a chance to fly. Uh, I did. On the hawk. What what was that like? Obviously, it, it's, yeah. I think it's one of those things that 
a, a million people would love to be able oh, to have the chance of doing it. Yeah, at least, at least. Um, so when I left the team as the operations officer in, in 16, uh, I was very, very fortunate to, to have a backseat trip with Mike Ling, who clearly is a, a Red Arrows legend. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Lingy, Lingy uh, uh, we, we, we performed Arrows for, for about 40 minutes. And uh, I think he did his best to try and make me ill. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and it was just incredible. Uh, and for me, out of 35 years, that's, that is the best 40 minutes of my entire career. It was, it was just incredible. Wow. And you, well, it's like the first time you go solo. Well, yeah. For me, I, I won't forget that. Yeah, absolutely. In a hurry. But, yeah, no, uh, it was incredible. Fantastic. It was incredible. It was the ultimate roller coaster ride. So I know, Doug, you're not a pilot yourself. Indeed. But yep. we always ask a question when we talk to uh, people at shows and pilots and people within the industry. If you were given the chance to go up to Jersey Airport now yep. and there was a plane there that you could go in and, and, and have a go in yourself, yep. anything, commercial yep. airliner, yep. GA, yep. military aircraft, retired, still flying, okay. anything, you had that choice. Yep. So would be? I'll, I'll give you two answers to that. <laughs> That's fine. If I may. Uh, so I, I've spent 14 years at Odium uh, with the Chinook Force, uh, and I, I, I love the Chinook. It, it really is the the, uh, the workhorse of, of the Royal Air Force, uh, and I've been lucky enough to float flying it many, many times as a passenger. <laughs> so I, I would love to have a go at a Chinook. Um, but actually, outside uh, Gamma Aviation this morning, there was a beautiful little, I think it was a Challenger 60, uh, and a okay. very, very nice aircraft. And, uh, yeah, it would be quite nice to kind of fly around the world in one of those. So, yeah, those are the two answers. That's, we, we definitely haven't had those before. Okay. Most people tend to go for fixed wings, to be, to be okay. fair. Okay, yeah, yeah. Got a lot of Spitfires, we get a lot of Concords, but, no, yeah. that's, um, that's good to hear a yeah, yeah, yeah. choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, well, I was just going by what's on the airfield this morning. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, clear. But, Andy and myself, when we when we did the tour of America back in '19, um, we we sat in the the um, cockpit of Concorde that's in New York, uh, and and uh, that's quite a treasured photo actually. What an aircraft! I bet. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. And I, I, I guess you've got a picture of yourself on in one of the Hawks. Oh yes. Yeah. I, 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 I've got a video as well. Oh, yeah, brilliant! It's brilliant! Absolutely amazing. Well, Doug, it's been great to speak to you today. Mm. Thank you for uh, taking time out to speak Not to us on the show. Not at all. And uh, yeah, all the best for the future. Thank you very much. And uh, have a great display. Yeah, well, f- fingers crossed. Fingers crossed the rain stays away. I'm looking out to the south now where the, the weather's coming from, and it actually looks really quite nice out there. So, just hopefully that's going to stay in that way till about half past four. Brilliant. All the best. Brilliant. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks very much. Well, now, we have had quite the uh, last 24 hours. And, and all, all I'm concerned about is lunch. Yes, I know. It's, it's lunchtime, good. although we have had our lunch. And these fine people behind us are going to have theirs. Now. They are, yeah. Uh, but uh, we've had quite the eventful morning. Yeah. We um, had a breakfast this morning quite early. And then we were invited very kindly by uh, Jonathan, uh, who's uh, the manager over at Swissport here at Jersey, uh, to the airfield to go and meet up with Chuck, who we spoke to, uh, and for the Bronco. And we got literally up close with the Bronco. And it's safe to say we got up close with the Bronco. Unbelievable. Um, I couldn't fit in it, obviously. Well, if I could, I couldn't have gone out. But uh, as you'll see, Carlos got in it. And uh, what a fine place it is, too, isn't it? Honestly, Nev, having sat on the uh, flight deck of Cessnas, PA-28s, um, you know, and flight decks of commercial airliners I've been, you know, able to get into, and 
and the Vulcan as well, the Vulcan yeah. Model. Yeah. Um, It was one of the most airy and brightest cockpits I think I've ever sat in. The, the, the view is fantastic, and you sit up so high, mm. you have a great view of all, and the aircraft itself sits incredibly high as well. But we had a great chat with Chuck, saw a bit more of the aircraft inside yeah. and out, and... Um, yeah, absolutely blown away. We've been so looked after here, yeah. like you wouldn't imagine. Um, now, this weather situation is uh, variable, let's say. It's uh, quarter to one at the moment in the afternoon, and the air display is due to start at 20 past two. They've got a slight reduction on the number of aircraft that they're going to display uh, for various technical reasons and weather reasons as well. Um, but let's see how we get on, because at the moment it's looking reasonable, isn't it? It's look, Yeah, the, it's... The cloud height is not too bad. The cloud base is, is good, I think, mm. for display. The only thing that I think might affect things, Nev, is the wind. Yeah. Because it is rather windy here. And no, Captain Al is not here on uh, site. There was, there was some wind last night, but there was there, we, we can't talk about that right now, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we had a lovely evening last night. Yeah. We had a great uh, night here. And we've bumped into at least two former RAS yes. people that know Nick Anderson. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. It's The name Nick Anderson seems to resonate yeah. with uh, many of the guests that are here at, uh, at the... Uh, there must be ongoing legal issues or something like yeah. that, mustn't there? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, no, he seems to be a very popular chap, and, and we like him as well. We, we do, yes. We love you, Nick. <laughs> but uh, we've got lots to look forward to still. Yeah. The air show's going to be uh, starting at around 2.20 this afternoon. They've had some cancellations, but there have been a few additions, mm. so we've kind of lost a few, but they've added some few aircraft yeah. to the, yeah. the programme. So uh, looking forward to that. And uh, there's also some, some more uh, Vino on offer, Nev. Is there? Yes. What a shame I've got the car here. But never mind. Never mind. We'll, uh, we'll work that out between us. But uh, anyway, so uh, that's all for now. Back to the studio. Discover the pioneers of speed and adventure at one of the UK's most iconic museums. Whether it's a tour of the legendary Concorde, a walk around the Brooklyn's aircraft factory, or maybe a behind-the-scenes look at the McLaren automotive cars, the Brooklyn's Museum has it all. Based at Weybridge in Surrey, it's the perfect day out for all the family. We can also host your private function or meeting in one of our amazing event suites. With so much to see and do, come and take a look at Great Britain's history of speed and flight. Find out more by going to www www.brooklandsmuseum.com or give us a call on 01932 857 381 that's 01932 857 381 now I'm trying to work out from uh, your your chat there guys uh it's so uh, is Nick famous or infamous well uh, both probably um so the first person that we well it was a virgin atlantic um skipper that was just deadheading to jersey originally uh at the gate at t5 at heathrow and he saw our shirts and all the rest of it and uh got chatted to him and i said oh, i don't suppose you know uh, nick and oh yes nick absolutely yes we flew together and blah 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 <laughs> and then we were having got into the show itself um we went one other person uh that that knew him and then finally we gave this chap a lift back 
from the airport to the display area and we got chatting to him in the car. I said, oh, I suppose you know Nick Anderson. Oh, Nicky Anderson. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> he says, uh, and that, that was quite funny, I must say. So uh, he's, a, he's a popular fellow. Yeah, well well known, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to be careful what you say because people know him. You well, know, quite yeah. yes. This is yeah. this is a good thing, I, I, I guess. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was it. so amusing, though. So yeah. amusing. I bet go all that way and then like, oh yeah, I know. yeah, 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 yeah. As I say, you know, a legend in his own lunchtime. That's what that's what we say. Isn't that's it? correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so uh, on to the next part of the show. So as you all will know, uh, we haven't got Armando with us this week. He's uh, busy. Obviously, you know, he's, he's driving somewhere for a, for a camping trip, I think, isn't he, Matt? As you do, yeah. So, as you do. And, uh, but he has provided us this week with three excellent military stories. And in this first story that comes to us from Air Force Times, Armando is going to be talking about the Air Force praising new training but struggling to find instructors. Our first military story is based on an article that was recently published in the Air Force Times. We've talked about Air Force pilot training or undergraduate pilot training 2.5 on the show for the last couple years. Now, the Air Force is actually expecting its two-year transition to this new pilot training curriculum to be done by the end of October. That's according to Air Education and Training Command. Now, this uh, undergraduate pilot training 2.5 is a pretty software-heavy, self-paced version of the course, uh, and by all accounts, it's producing better prepared pilots faster than ever before. Now, this this new syllabus using virtual reality technology, or what they're calling immersive training devices, um, this the syllabus tries to give airmen these manual stick and rudder skills that they are going to need to fly a jet, plus multitasking, critical thinking abilities to juggle airstrikes, intelligence gathering sensors, and collaboration with other combat assets. Uh, This program has been adopted across the Air Force's three bases where they conduct initial pilot training. That's Columbus Air Force Base in Mississippi, Vance Air Force Base in Oklahoma, and Laughlin Air Force Base in Texas. Now, undergraduate pilot training used to last almost a full year. Now, that's shrunk by nearly half. Students that are earning their pilot's wings are doing so after just about seven months while flying the uh, T-6 Texan II, um, and and they're doing that before they move on to their uh, T-38 Talons for those pilots moving to fast jets or the T-1 Jayhawk, which is a beach jet. Um, for about five months of more specialized uh, flying training before they move on to their their airplane that they will be based on. Um, The Air Force published that in 2022, about 1,400 uh, airmen received their initial wings, and that's just shy of the annual goal of of producing at least uh, 1,480 pilots each year. Now, about the two dozen of, of the airmen that graduated from the fundamentals course, which prepares 
pilots to fly specifically cargo, tanker, special operations, and surveillance aircraft, all but three performed better in that specialized training under the new syllabus with this virtual reality technology than those who went through the traditional undergraduate pilot course. Um, many of them are actually flying the same maneuvers in the aircraft, looking upside down, looking at their ground references, um, as ex ex exactly like they did in their immersive training devices or in the virtual reality goggles. So by all accounts, as you can imagine, Carlos would be much more apt to uh, fly in a 737 now that he's got hundreds of hours logged in his simulator. And you can only imagine if we gave him some virtual reality goggles and a couple checklists, he would probably be able to get into a real 737, as he's wishing to do one day, and um, fly it and probably even land it. Now, one of the problems with this, now the Air Force is, is very happy with the technology, but um, UPT 2.5, this new version of training, has actually, it requires more instructors than in the past. Now, the Air Force has said that most instructor manning positions are close to 80%. That's pretty good. But the civilians that run some of the simulators, which the Air Force, if you guys know, the relies a lot on, on civilian personnel in these supporting roles. Those civilian jobs are only about 60% filled. And that's because the sim instructors are living in less rural areas. They're, you know, snagging six-figure pays. Uh, offers by commercial airlines and corporate airlines, meaning that the, the uniformed instructors have to pick up the slack in these courses. And of course, they are short manned also because there's, you know, real operations going, uh, going on throughout the world. Now, one option for the Air Force could be to offer civilian instructors more money. Um, the Air Force is working with Congress to give it a little bit more leeway to hire private citizens at a higher price point um, outside of the traditional government pay scale, or I guess augmented by, but, um, but they're still going to be competing with airlines and regionals and things like that um, to, to basically be a, a virtual reality instructor position. Um, likewise, the Air Service is actually exploring whether one person can remotely operate multiple simulators and help several students at once. They're doing that, you know, kind of a remote work position. Um, but most notably, I think the Air Force has announced a Palace Acquire program. That's what they're calling it. It's an internship program to attract flight instructors for the first time. Now, starting next month, the service is going to try to bring in three college graduates with private pilot's licenses, put them through Air Force undergraduate pilot training, and once they're finished, they're going to stick around as civilian flight instructors there in the T-6. So... For all of you here in the U.S. that are just, you know, have your pilot's license and you're finishing college, take a look at this because this may be an opportunity to get into a government job and, uh, and be a civilian, one of the few civilians that has actually gone through Air Force pilot training. I mean, it's a great story as always. It's uh, Training's a tricky one, isn't it? It's... Uh... You know, you, it's like I suppose it's like pilots, isn't it? You get the pilot shortages, um, so inevitably you're going to get training, training staff shortages as well, I guess, as people leave and retire. 
Yeah, I was going to say when, when a lot of people now, a lot of in, well, a lot of pilots when that when they retire, you know, most most want to retire. Yeah, and yeah, they don't want to Not carry on flying and, and yeah. doing instructing and stuff like that, which is a shame. Yeah, yeah we're we're lucky where we live around here, Matt, that um, we've got two very good um, airfields with um, with plenty plenty of instructors to train. So. Yes, indeed. For the moment, anyway. <laughs> For the moment, anyway, yeah. So, uh, next story from Armando in the military segment this week comes to us from thedrive.com, and uh, Armando's talking all about the Air Force acquiring uh, Australia's MQ-28 Ghost Bat Drone for testing. This next military story is kind of interesting. This is a bit of a drone update. It comes to us from thedrive.com. The Pentagon has confirmed that it's going to be using a Boeing MQ-28 Ghost Bat drone in an advanced, uncrewed design developed and produced by the company's division in Australia. That's for research and development purposes in coordination with the United States Air Force. Um, The chief of staff of the U.S. Air Force, C.Q. Brown, and his Royal Australian Air Force counterpart, Air Marshal Robert Chipman, just signed a new agreement to strengthen the already significant relationship that exists between the two countries' air forces. Now, uh, in the drive.com and breaking defense, they were the first to report that the U.S. military is planning the use of this MQ-28. The acquisition came through the office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering, um, and they're going to be using this technology to continually develop this program called uh, Collaborative Combat Aircraft, which is um, uh, the relationship between manned and unmanned aircraft and the future, as we've seen in plenty of of, uh, articles of sort of swarms of drones being uh, controlled by one manned aircraft, um, like the Loyal Wingman concept and and many other of these kinds of programs that are currently being developed. Now, it's not immediately clear if the Air Force is only buying one of these MQ-28s from Australia or if they're going to buy multiple airframes. But either way, this is a a great, um, you know, uh, a great sign that the two Air Forces are working together and what one does will benefit the other one. So we'll keep an eye out on this, this, Uh, unmanned aircraft that we actually haven't heard too much about being produced in Australia. And going on with the drone update, in August of this year, it was finally confirmed that retired Block 20 and Block 30 RQ-4 Global Hawks, if you're ever wondering what happens to these aircraft when they get retired, they would be reconfigured as Range Hawks under the Skyrange hypersonic weapon testing program. Details, of course, um, of how how exactly these modified RQ-4s are expected to work on this program are, of course, limited. Uh, but now, with some additional information from the Defense Department's uh, Test and Resource Management Center, there's a little bit deeper understanding of how exactly the Range Hawk will perform, and if it works as intended, it could bring in a new era of U.S. hypersonic development. Now, the, freight, the fate of these decommissioned uh, Global Hawks first came to light last year when Northrop Grumman announced that it would be repurposing four of these uh, retired Block 20 uh, high-flying intelligence drones uh, to serve in the Pentagon Sky Range program. The RQ-4s then went uh, all the way over to the Grand Sky Commercial Testing Facility, 
That's across the runway from Grand Forks Air Force Base in North Dakota, where they would be refitted with new electronics to achieve this kind of uh, the sky range mission using high and far flying semi autonomous unmanned aircraft to track hypersonic capabilities during flight tests over expansive distances. Uh, in a statement from the director of TRMC's Range Hawk program, he says, uh, Brian Peck says, the, the support in support of the Sky Range initiative, these Block 20 and 30 RQ4 Global Hawks will be reconfigured into Range Hawks and provide high altitude, long endurance airborne range services, including collecting telemetry and monitoring the system that's under test during test flights. So, if you ever wanted to know what's gonna what happens with these uh, retired military drones, here is is one uh, possible use for them that we'll keep an eye out here in the future. Do you know what I think they should do with these drones? Give give them to us. Yes, to absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please mm. pass pass them on to me because uh, you know it'd be like the best radio controlled toy ever. <laughs> oh, how good would that be? I mean, you. I mean, for a lot of these drones, you'd probably need a, something a little bit bigger than uh, the road outside your house to get it airborne. But Possibly, yeah. Um, I mean, small details, obviously, but... <laughs> I mean, yeah. sure. You know, there, might be, there might be some implications around this area, what with all the GA aircraft that are flying around. But oh, Always with the negatives, know, for you, honestly. I know, I know. Finding sensible excuses for, it, for, for us not to have one. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> story number three in the military news this week from Armando is uh, coming to us from theaviationist.com. And it's all about Lockheed Skunk Works, Dark Star movie prop uh, to be at Edwards Air Show. And lastly, for all our Top Gun fans out there, the Aviationist.com just recently published an article saying that the movie prop from Top Gun Maverick will appear as a stem display at a local air show. The Dark Star hypersonic test aircraft featured in the opening scene of Top Gun Maverick will be on static display at Edwards Air Force Base during their open house this weekend, uh, October 14 to 16, according, according to a report published on Aviation International News Online. Um, now, unfortunately, we're recording this show on Friday. The show goes from Friday to Sunday, but um, the, the this means that there is a possibility that in future air shows, we're going to be able to see this Dark Star concept aircraft um, at different uh, air shows. Now, this exhibit looks to be the main attraction of the air show, at least on the first day when they are expecting some 12,000 students from local high schools and the region to attend. Lockheed and the show organizers are hoping that this Dark Star aircraft will simu- uh, stimulate some air- interest in aerospace careers. Now, as most everybody that listens to this show has seen the movie either once or twice or three times even, um, the the opening scene in Top Gun Maverick with this Dark Star aircraft is one of the most sensational of all aviation in, in, in movies and in cinema. Um, but it's not just all completely made up. Theories about the existence of this hypersonic test or operational aircraft have been fueled for decades. That's by sightings of unexplained contrails and even photos of aircraft alleged to be flying at high altitude over the U.S. southwest desert, even over the Atlantic, actually. None of those theories have been revealed or proven as factual. Um, however, there was an actual airplane built by Skunk Works uh, named Dark Star in the mid-1990s. It was a joint effort with Boeing 
for a stealthy subsonic high-altitude UAV for reconnaissance. The aircraft, that aircraft was funded by the Pentagon and flew in 1996, but the prototype, uh, which was designated an RQ-3, actually crashed on its second flight. A second version um, flew in 1998, but the program was essentially canceled the, uh, the next year. So if you're out at the Edwards Air Force Base open house and air show and you get to see the Dark Star, go ahead and send us some pictures. Now, now I'm really excited by this. I, I, part of me is really sad that it's a static display because obviously it was being flown around during the actual, um, you know, the recording or, or the making of the film. I, I, part of me is yeah, sort of quite sad. I mean, you know, I guess it, it is what it is, I guess. It's, it's one of those... Um... It's one of those movie props which they made look really, or they made. Oh, I see. Really good. Oh, I've misunderstood. Yeah. Sorry. If, when you, well, you've. Well, it, you, I'll let you off because you've not seen the film yet. No, I if, haven't. Um, no, you're right. <laughs> when I get my, when I do eventually get the delivery when it's released on Blu-ray okay. uh, on the fifth of November, I think um, right. it's getting delivered here. You will obviously be coming here for a full right. cinema okay, viewing right. of it. But no, at the, at the beginning of the at the beginning of Maverick, when they uh, when obviously uh, Tom Cruise is in this particular aircraft, the Dark mm. Star, um, it look you know when they bring out it looks stunning. It looks really yeah. well done. Obviously, it's a lot of it is CGI and a lot of it is is yeah. a studio prop. But um, it's it's Although nice. He's, to see. he's not a big fan of CGI, is he? He does he does try and no, do no. real stunts as much. But as in he this can. case, it had to be there had to be a little bit of um, oh really okay a bit of trickery because it, it is a. A uh, very futuristic-looking aircraft. Okay, I just, all right, I fair enough. Say. Yeah, okay. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, it was good. It'll be nice. But you'll you will see it soon, Matt. Okay, you'll be right. seeing it soon. <laughs> okay. well, at the end of end of this month. So oh, very good. Panic. Okay, lovely. I'll bring the wine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't bother. We've got tons here. Blimey. <laughs> you you've met my wife, haven't you, Matt? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. That's why I like to bring her nice wine. <laughs> Rather than the stuff you make her buy, oh, <laughs> so that you anyway. can, so that you can buy more controllers for your silly exactly, sim. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so the next part of the show, we're going to hand things back to Nev to introduce uh, one of or the next part of our fantastic interviews. Nev. Yes, of course. It's uh, Nine Lives, uh, Chris Burwell, Part Four, and you can see uh, Chris there in his Harrier GR7 and his book. This is a signed copy. Uh, which we're going to be uh, doing a quiz for in a few weeks' time, which you can win. Uh, but part four uh, is all about Chris's work uh, on the ground in Gloucester after being squadron leader and also becoming the officer commanding number one squadron. Um, I read that on your return you managed to avoid staff college <laughs> <laughs> and took up a ground yeah. job deciding where to place many of the RAF's pilots. Now, yeah. was that good luck or was someone looking after you? Oh, it was a good job, actually. Um, I'm not sure. Well, I, I, I do know how I got it. I got it because they desperately needed a guy in that job at Gloucester in postings with the right background. And I just happened to be there waiting to start start right. staff college. So okay. I had the right background. I'd just done my flying tour as a squadron leader. So it was staff college or a staff job next. So I was right place, right time. And, uh, yeah, the, the squadron leader posting officer I knew from Cranwell days anyway, he was one of the early graduate entry guys, called Neil Taylor. And he might have said, oh, yeah, he's all right. He'll do the job. So <laughs> job done. Yes. And I finished up. You may know Neil anyway. He does join up handwriting. Yeah. Yes. Now, whilst you were a 
desk officer, you raised the contentious issue of grounding pilots who'd requested to leave the Air Force Mm. early. Mm. Now, with a pilot retention problem, you talk about building. Mm. Um, How did you justify this punitive action that prevented many pilots from moving to the civil world while still remaining current at flying? Mm. Interesting one. Mm. It wasn't my policy, obviously. It was a department policy. And I can't, the life of me, I can't think how the policy evolved um, because it it would have come out of our department, but whether it was led from the one-star level or whether it was generated at Wing Commander Group Code, I can't remember, but the policy evolved whereby people who'd elected to leave take premature voluntary retirement. uh, If we needed to fill a ground appointment, we would take those people rather than other people who were committed to their terms of service, which we in the department thought was perfectly fair because if you um, are basically cancelling your contract with the Royal Air Force and saying, well, I know I'm supposed to serve till the age of 38 or 16 years service, which is the terms that most people were on at that point, but I've decided that I'm only 30 but I want to leave and go to the airlines, then you're reneging on your terms of service at that point. And it's acceptable that there is a system, you put in what's called a PVR, premature voluntary retirement, and then you get given a date to leave. And that date could be three years away, depending upon quotas, because we operated a quota system, which as a wing commander I finished up running. So that was the policy, and I think that was only fair, because otherwise you'd find people who were committed to their terms of service, who were fairly early on, finding that they were being sent to ground tours, whereas other people who were going to leave in 18 months' time to go and fly for British Airways or so on, would just carry on flying very happily. And they were being sent off to a simulator. So that's not a very nice way to treat people who've joined an organisation and are committed to staying in it. I I can see that point of view, but I know for a fact that Mm. many of my Mm. colleagues who did PVR to join the airlines felt that they'd done quite sufficient service Uh, and uh, this was just a clause in their contract that they were activating. Mm. So they didn't see it uh, as requiring punitive action, which is what they saw it. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Returning to the Harrier world, Chris, meant that a Hawk refresher uh, was required and then the Harrier Mm. OCU. I note that you were continually being dragged back into the role of instructor. Now, did you resent this or were you happy to spend yet more time in the back seat? Well, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, a, it was really nice uh, to get back to flying, especially on the Harrier. So, yeah, to get asked to do a month's instructor on the OCU, I thought, yeah, that's great. What, you know, it's better than sitting behind the desk, isn't it? So uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and also it got me really back in the swing of things as well. Now, it must have been very satisfying to become the officer commanding number one squadron, your first operational mm. squadron, and of course, a hugely historic squadron mm. in the Royal Air Force. Did you enjoy your time in command? I certainly did. It was, it was a great time to command the squadron. I'm sure every squadron commander would say that. But it's a very interesting period um, for, t- for two reasons. Well, to start with, it's very historic, and we had some very nice reunions, and, and it was lovely to meet people like Neg Prody, who'd flown hurricanes during the Second World War, coming back to visit the squadron, things like that, which is just wonderful. Uh, 
We and there was a very strong squadron association as well at that time, uh, led by people like Sir Ken Hare, sadly dead now, and and so on. So there's some very eminent people who'd been through one squadron as pilots or as squadron commanders as well. So great pr- privilege. The time that I had the squadron, of course, the GR5 was in service by then, um, but we were awaiting the GR7, which would take us into night flying, as it did during my time commanding the squadron. And, of course, we also got involved in uh, Operation Warden, flying into northern Iraq as well. So it was it was a very interesting time to command the squadron. Yeah, you've mentioned uh, your need to develop night operations. Uh, it was a difficult task, considering... All previous Harrier marks were restricted to day missions only. Mm. What were the highlights of that job? Um, it was a huge challenge for a start. And um, when we started, um, the first thing I did was I managed to get my hands on a very capable, eminent chap called Mike Harwood, who had been on the Strike Attack Operational Evaluation Unit who needed a flight commander tour. And so I got him posted as my officer commanding knight. So he was the only guy that we had who had any knight experience with the equipment that we were going to use, particularly the FLIR, the forward-looking infrared, and the night vision goggles. So I got him posted in, and he was responsible for developing our program, our training program. Now, there were a number of obstacles. In, in fact, the whole night program was delayed for a year because of technical issues with getting the aircraft ready. Uh, to operate at night, uh, particularly to do with a blow-up system because you had these goggles on your helmet. If you ejected, those goggles would come off uh, and just finish up in your lap and probably break your legs and might do damage to your your wedding tackle as well. So they had to devise a system whereby when you ejected or if you ejected, these goggles would actually blow off away from your helmet so that they didn't interfere with the ejection sequence. So there was a delay getting that technology sorted out. And then there were further delays. So the whole thing was slid for a year. And even then, we finished up with only a few aircraft that were night capable for the first few months. So we then had to devise a system where we had an A team and a B team. And then the A team had priority and the B team were brought on more slowly, which was a source of frustration for them. But sorry, to get back to your question about what were the highlights, the highlights were, A, operating an amazing technology. So you could fly around at low level at night. That was just amazing. You couldn't fly around low level at night in all conditions, obviously. Um, But if you had a reasonable amount of cultural lighting, that is car headlights, lighting from towns, villages, whatever, starlight, moon, if you have a reasonable amount of cultural lighting, you can have very good goggle performance so that you can fly around quite happily at 250 feet, which we did. If you don't have a lot of cultural lighting, then you may have good forward-looking infrared performance depending upon atmospheric conditions. So you could be, for instance, as we were later on, out in the Arizona desert with not much cultural lighting or virtually zero cultural lighting, but an incredibly good floor picture. So you could look at the real world through a forward look at, through infrared picture, which you could have in the head-up display or you could put it on a TV screen in the cockpit so you could actually fly around with a TV screen with head-up display information superimposed upon it. So the technology was fantastic. Um, that was the first remarkable thing about it. 
The second thing was the experience of taking this and operating in the Arizona desert because we did the first night season. Then we all decamped to Yuma, uh, American Air Force Base out in um, Arizona, and we operated at night out there where the conditions were very poor cultural lighting because you're in the desert, but very good flirt performance. And at the end of the second season, we did a detachment to Lucas as a workup uh, in February time, I think it was, which involved dropping, dropping high explosive bombs on, in the middle of the night up on Cape Roth. But then we went out to the Arctic Circle and we went up to Bardifoss, deployed up there, and then we were flying up into the Arctic Circle where you had, at times, quite good goggle performance because you got uh, starlight and so on reflected off the snow, which can give you quite good goggle performance. And then the FLIR performance could be quite bad because of the atmospheric conditions up there with a lot of moisture and so on. So, we, you know, from the Arizona desert to the Arctic Circle, we experienced that in two night seasons. So those were, those were highlights. And, and also, uh, that second night season, at the end of that night season, we actually started doing the first close air support, so forward air control type uh, work, which was quite demanding. Because normally when you did forward air control work, you wrote things down on your knee pad. So you got a, a reference point for the target, you just jot it down, and then you could feed it into the kit in your own time. But of course you can't do that at night because you can't see in the cockpit properly. So we had to brief the forward air controller that you need to break it up, do it in small pieces, and then we just punch it into the head up. Uh, so you typing up as the controller. guy yeah, you just type the... it in. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, I remember doing the first one, and uh, I think... I think I led the first one, I'm not sure, Jerry Humphreys, one of my flight commanders, was my number two. So he's not only trying to punch it in, but he's also trying to formate on me. Not too close, I might add, but he's still trying to keep with me while he's doing all this as well. And then uh, we'd swap round and I'd have a go at doing number two as well. So it's all challenging stuff, but very memorable. Yeah. Now, did you develop the change in tactics as well, or were you just really bringing the kit uh, to the front line? We were bringing the kit to the front line, but obviously when you talk about tactics, um, we would normally fly a wide battle formation of some sort. If we had two aircraft, we'd fly a wide battle two plus miles apart, depending on visibility and terrain and all that sort of thing. Uh, and there's lots of reasons why we would do that. And if we had more than two aircraft, if we had four aircraft, then we'd fly a pair up front like that and a pair behind in what we called card formation and you could do that sort of card with six or eight aircraft so you'd have a big train going through if you had a lot of weapons to put on the target now at night you can't really fly around in a formation like that because of the limitations of seeing the other aircraft so we tended to fly around in a swept formation so that that was the main thing tactically um, and you know so we we did finish up manoeuvring against a fighter threat at night towards the end of the second season. So we were using a sweat formation to fly around. And so we weren't... The reason for flying abreast like that is the visual cover, whereas at night you're relying very much on the electronics. So if you need to manoeuvre, it doesn't really matter that somebody is swept back on you. You're going to manoeuvre and uh, you're not going to get into a close-in engagement. Now, I don't care what anyone says... Uh, the Harrier just defies... Uh, they're just the most amazing aircraft, isn't it? 
Well, I hope this uh, is pleasing for Jonathan Warner as well. <laughs> well, true, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this yeah. is just like a, a complete military fest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. One uh, of which you were involved in, Nev, which is always yeah, astounding. Yeah. No, great listening to Chris uh, and the stories, you know, really great. Got another two parts to play out. Oh. And in fact, next week, I am on another assignment with Nick for the next interview Ooh. with somebody else. Um, so details oh, yeah. of which will follow shortly oh come on let out the secrets come on <laughs> no, no uh well we're going to an airfield to film it right That's brilliant all. thanks brilliant yeah. thanks for that but you're not right. even going to tell you're not even going to tell anyone what it's about <laughs> it's a secret mission I, I, oh dear I, I think there's an embargo on it yeah we can't right can't okay fair it. enough yeah. right fair enough someone do the socials then <laughs> actually i Chris, quickly i was just oh, going to say um, you sound about the Harrier, Matt. There's actually yeah. uh, one of the journeys I have to do um, quite regularly is pass is past um, RAF Wittering, and they've got one. Of, they've got a Harrier oh, wow. as a gate guardian sitting right at the gate as you go into RAF Wittering, Lovely. sitting there on a stand. I'd imagine Jonathan Warner's probably seeing it, but oh, um, he's probably got a camera full of them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Nev, social medias where can everyone find us on social media I, if i were you i would go to facebook twitter and instagram and search for plain talking uk that's where we are uh, the whatsapp number plus 44 757 224 that's plus 44 757 double uh, sorry tell to 49166 uh, email the show podcast at plain talking uk and the website is www playingtalkinguk.com if you go to uh, youtube.com and search for Plain Talking UK we're also there as well as if you go onto our website you can use an Amazon link if you do your shopping with Amazon you can uh, we get a small referral fee if you do it that way you can also become a Patreon as well details of which are on the website and don't I, forget, if you have enjoyed the uh, series of interviews that uh, Nev Ray kindly put together with Captain Nick, we'd love to hear your feedback. Send us your feedback either for email or voice or anything you can send us through our social media sites. We would love to hear from them, Nev, about uh, what they think of the uh, the series so far. Yes, please. That would be great. And as I've said before, once we've played out all six parts uh, of this, that'll be available as a separate playlist on the YouTube channel. So that is where we have got to bring the show to a close tonight. Episode 429 of the show. I won't be here next week, but Matt uh, and Nev hopefully will be here. And hopefully Armando will be back next week as well. And uh, all being well. I've got a feeling we haven't got Armando for several weeks now. Or he might not be here. Yeah. But (laughs) hopefully Andy... Our resident uh, Airbus A320 captain will be uh, in the guest seat next week to answer all your Airbus-related questions. So uh, that's it. That's all we've got time for. Thanks to everyone in the YouTube chat room, all the audio downloaders of the show. And uh, from me, Carlos, here in my home studio, from Matt in the PTUK Master Suite Studios, and from the awesome Neville Bounds in his home studio in Buckinghamshire. Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend, whatever you're up to, and see you next week. Say goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.